Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Megan Peters Decker. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thank you, Richard. Tell our listeners how to spell your first name so they get Megan right. <laughs> uh, it's just like the uh, ex-princess, M-E-G-H-A-N. And um, Megan is going to share her story as a gay Latter-day Saint. But before we start, Megan is my first guest from my high school class. We were both um, graduated from Highland High School in Salt Lake City, the class of 1979. That dates us as around 60 years old. And I'm looking at page 38 of our yearbook and our two photos are eight photos apart. But we never really knew each other. It's like high school. We just didn't get to know everybody. Yeah. And I think you moved into Highland after I did. And But there you are, Megan Peters. I think we had friends who were friends. <laughs> and so this is, we've been kind of having a high school reunion here before we went live and um, anyway, Megan is going to share her story as a gay Latter-day Saint. She's a married mother of five and how many grandchildren? Fifteen. And you live in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yep. Sure, Michigan. And um, these are the four areas we're going to talk about is kind of a loose outline. Um, how does my marriage work, including sexual fluid, fluidity? Um, second segment is decision to come out. Um, which is a good question at age 60. You did a podcast with Ben and Charlie in August of 2021. Is it ever too late to come out? And so that's part of your story. Third section is your relationship with the church. And the fourth section, if we stay kind of with our loose outline, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, are our two books that Megan's written. She wrote a book about depression for Desert Book 22 years ago, and she has a new book coming out about her story as a LGBTQ Latter-day Saint woman called Tender Leaves of Hope. Love that title. And that book will be out in April of 2022. So our prayer is this podcast will be helpful for you listeners, um, wherever space you're in, the LGBTQ, the ally space, the parent space, the local leader space, and Megan's story will help you as you're trying to navigate your future or help others. So that's our prayer. So. Uh, we'll just kind of turn it over to you um, to start, Megan. Thank you, Richard. Um, well, I'll give you a little bit of background. I, uh, I knew uh, somewhere in my mind as a teenager that, that I was attracted to girls. Um, but that didn't align with my, with my newfound faith in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I, uh, I joined the church a few years before moving back to Utah, I joined in Sacramento, California um, in 1972. And uh, I, I loved the fact that I was bound by my baptismal covenant to the Lord. And nothing in my church experience, nothing that I, I learned, and really I should say nothing in my community experience either at school, um, made me believe that there was a place for me in the church. If if I, if I like girls. And so I buried that reality under a mountain of shame and fear. And, uh, and I didn't admit it to myself, uh, until about 40 years later, uh, I was 53. Um, and during that time though, I will say during that time, there were periods of time where I was attracted to other women. Um, 
other women in Relief Society, other women in you know my ward, other women in my community. And when that would happen, um, I didn't consciously acknowledge it to myself, but I would have so much shame over that. And, and that was, um, that did a lot of damage. I experienced a number of major depressive episodes. Um, I was suicidal. And that, that really led into that first book that I wrote, um, which was Reaching for Hope, an LDS Perspective on Recovering from Depression. And I, I co-wrote that book with uh, Betsy Chatlin. And, and um, we talked a lot about the causes of depression. We shared stories from other women about their experience with depression um, and bipolar and anxiety um, disorders. We, uh, you know, I, I kind of became the expert in, in a way, the lay expert on it, but I never really could identify the root cause of my depression. I, I kind of chalked it up to postpartum, but it had started in high school long before there were any babies. And now looking back, I can see that waves of attraction to women would coincide with waves of depression, not because I was gay but because of the shame I attached to that. The shame, it was shame that, that drove that. What an um, important distinction. Thank it you. Is, it is. Because really, I'll jump ahead a little bit to the end of the story. Uh, I, I have not experienced that since coming out. I have had some really hard things to go through, but it has not spiraled into, into that, uh, that debilitating depression or, or suicidal, you know, the, the thought that suicide would be a better choice than continuing on. Um, so when I was, when I was in my early fifties, um, there was just a moment that came, I was thinking about somebody and, and I found myself wishing that she were gay. And I thought, okay, it's time. (laughs) And I walked into the bathroom and looked in the mirror and said, I think it's time to admit that you're attracted to women. Wow. Um, that it took me a lot of years to come out to myself. And that's often we talk about that being the hardest coming out. And, and it definitely was for me. Uh, I think it was a good time though. I was, I taught seminary for a lot of years, early morning seminary. I wasn't doing that anymore. All of my kids were grown and, and away at school or, you know, um, I didn't have a lot of the pressures that I had had, and I think it was just time, and, and the church was in a different place. I began to see more space. I, when I had been teaching seminary, I had a, a wonderful young woman who started attending. She was, um, she was not a member. Her parents were a lesbian couple, and she reached out to me after she'd been coming for a couple of weeks and said, you know, tell me about what your church teaches about gay people. And, and so I, I, I realized at that point that our conversation or, or the way we talk had changed. Um, and there was a little more space. Um, there was space at least for, for feeling the feelings, if not for the behaviors there was for the feelings and, and that anyway. So, so just in talking to her about that and, and it was interesting for her, her family, was terrified by her interest in our church. She was baptized. They eventually came around, but 
you know, I had, I had another student in my class who was also a non-member and with him, I could say, you know, you just be who you are, live the gospel and your family may see that. And they may, you may end up going to the temple with them. And that was not something I could say to Mm. this girl. If her family had embraced the church, it would have meant the destruction of her family. So, um, Anyway, but but in 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 working with her and talking with her, I realized that there was uh, there was the the words that were being used, the the things that we were the way we were talking about this was different from when you and I were in high school, uh, when the language was very harsh. Um, so after after that, I decided I was just going to hold that to myself. Um, and Heavenly Father just started pushing me to tell my husband. And he was the last person I wanted to tell. I, I, he was the person I thought it would be the most painful for. And I didn't know what it would mean either. Um, but eventually, um, I gave in and, uh, and talked to David. And that was, that, that was very hard for both of us. Um, there were a lot of years of of kind of figuring things out. We 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 did a lot of talking and and I was doing a lot of research at the time. I was going to the North Star website and watching Voices of Hope videos. I I talked to Laurie Campbell, who is the author of um, Born That Way, which was published 25 years ago by Deseret Book. Her story as a as a, a gay woman in the church. Um, and I had stumbled across that book years before and loved it and just, and I bought like five copies of it to share with friends because I said it was the best, the best book on the atonement that I'd read outside of scripture. Um, and, but it also showed me there's somebody else like me, you know, there, there's somebody else. Um, our stories are different, but, uh, but that essential, you know, that, 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 intersection of being a woman attracted to other women and being a woman who desires to be a disciple of Christ. Um, we shared that. And, and so, so I was reading a lot and, and whatever I could find. And there weren't a lot of women's voices. Um, I had to look hard to find women. And, uh, and so a few years went by, um, and I, uh, I, I started to feel like I should, I should talk to more people. And um, there was no real need for that. I, I, could, I passed as straight. My husband and I, he was serving in our state presidency at the time. I, was, I had been in various leadership callings. Um, but I felt broken inside because of the shame. And so I would have, you know, I would have women in my institute class come up to me and say, oh, I just want to be like you when I grow up, you know, and and I thought, no, 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 you don't, you don't. I, and I just found myself saying to people all the time, I'm broken. We're all broken, but I am broken. And I, you know, I'm in need of a savior. And they just thought that was so cool that I, you know, I, I was so humble. And the truth is it just, anytime they said, gave me any compliments like that, I heard this narrative in my mind that you don't know me. And if you really knew me, you wouldn't say that. And that was, that was my internal truth. Um, 
And uh, I think when people ask why I would need to talk about this, I think there are two reasons. One is my own healing. Um, as I've been able to be more open, hiding, I think hiding just makes us feel ashamed. If there's anything we feel we need to hide, it becomes a source of shame. And being able to talk about this openly has been crucial to my healing, my spiritual healing, my emotional healing, my acceptance of myself, my ability to feel more clearly the love of God, um, unfettered by by you know worrying about the expectations or or, or failing the expectations of others, um, and and so that that kind of comes up to probably three years ago. I talked to my children, and uh, and that was really hard for them because there was no there was no visible um, success story for them to look at. All of the friends they had, all the women they knew who'd come out as gay had left their families, had left their marriages, had left the church. And that was the only model they saw. And I think that's another reason for me to come out. I, I, I am open about this for myself, for my own healing. But I think there's also, hopefully, um, Allowing somebody, I looked for I looked for members of the church who were gay, who were married, who were who were doing what I wanted to do, and I couldn't see them. So when I talked to my husband, we didn't know what that meant. We didn't. I I I had no idea if I could stay in the church, or or if admitting this meant, you know, my life had to go in a different direction. And eventually realized that we we. My agency is mine. I get to define what I choose. Um, and so for my children, I told them my intent was to stay in our family, stay in the church. Um, but it took a few years, I think, for them to see that that really was how, how it appeared to play, you know, how it's played out so far. And, and I hope it continues on. Um, it it has been good for them to hear me. Uh, you mentioned that I that I you know I, I think you mentioned that I'd done the podcast with Charlie and Ben. Yes. When they heard that, something changed. And uh, for one thing, some of them heard parts of my story they'd never heard before. Um, it was easier for them to hear it. I think in many ways on a podcast than than face to face. And. Uh, and that has been healing for our family. Um, I think there is there is power in truth and light, and bringing things out of darkness and into light, and being able to be authentic and being able to be vulnerable. Um, I think the Lord works in those spaces, and and we create space for Him when we're willing, um, when we're willing to see truth and to acknowledge truth. Um, so earlier this spring, I was. I've been working on this book. Um, I I was speaking at a conference. I was uh, writing. I, I was just you know becoming visible in other ways, and so I ended up um, ended up talking. You know, reaching out to 
40 years worth of people I've worked with and been in presidencies with and, and students I've had. And, and, uh, and I just kind of did a general broadcast of an email to a lot of different people. And, and that, um, I, I received immediate responses from a lot of people that were so positive and so supportive and some saying, I, I, I understand because I would talk about, I would talk about my, my, um, my testimony of the savior's love and, and with this piece of the puzzle in place for them, some of the things that I had said when I was teaching made more sense. And, and now they understood kind of the power behind that, because this, this has brought me to the savior. That's cool. Um, it's, it has so many gifts. I, I remember when I first talked to, started working with a therapist about three years ago. And one of the things he said in, in one of our very first sessions was, you know, do you think this is bad? And, and I thought, yes, it has the potential to destroy everything I love in my life. Yes, it's bad. And he asked me to look for, look for the gifts. And as I have done that, I have seen so many ways in which my life is blessed by the fact of my sexual orientation. And, uh, and I've found a lot to be grateful for. Um, and I've just found that the Lord loves me as I am and, and blesses me with this so that it works for my good. Um, and I will say, this is my story, only my story. Um, no one else has had my specific experiences or opportunities or current circumstances. Um, I have a lot of friends who, who are, um, it, it, it's almost as if the Lord is working in the lives of my contemporaries to bring us out into light. And, and that works in different ways for different people, depending on the relationships that they're in. And some can't, some can't bear it. It, It's too great a burden for, for a marriage that's already, already troubled. Uh, It can be a breaking point. Um, And, and so, you know, there, this is my story, mine alone. And uh, I just want to make, make, make that point. But um, one of the things that, that I think is always on people's minds, especially in our, in our stake, because they know our family so well, because my husband often in state conference would talk about relationships and, and people literally thought we had like the ideal marriage. And so they're just, they look at us and even if they're not asking it, I know, you know, and sometimes they do ask it, how does this work in your marriage? How can you be married if you're, are you bisexual or, you know, and, uh, and I think I did identify as bisexual early on because that made sense to me. I was married to a man, so I must be bisexual. And then I, I read Lisa Diamond's book, uh, Sexual Fluidity, and, uh, and it's excellent. But one of, and, and so I'm going to summarize very, you know, a very little bit of, of, of her findings from her 10-year uh, study on uh, women and their, and their sexual orientation and fluidity within that sexual orientation. But from a fixed orientation, it's possible for a woman or, or a man, but I'll, I'm going to talk about women because that's what her research was in, for a woman to um, experience a situation-specific attraction to someone outside 
her normal orientation. And so for me, what that looks like is I was, I was dating when I was at Rick's College in you know 1980, because that's what everybody was doing. Um, but I was not in love with anyone ever and, uh, and was intending to go on and get a PhD in English and, you know, teach. And, and, uh, that, that was my, that was my path forward. And I didn't really think about marriage that much. Um, when I met David, that all changed. It was a situation specific attraction to a man, um, that's not been duplicated and you know i i am attracted to women and i am attracted to david and um i don't know exactly how that works i know it can uh dr diamond's research shows that it can work the opposite way too and and i've talked to i've talked to a number of friends uh, or women who reached out to me who have found themselves they'd always considered themselves heterosexual never been attracted to women happy in their marriage, and then suddenly they find themselves feeling romantic attraction to their friend. And, and they don't know what that means for them. Does that mean that somewhere inside they're actually gay or they're actually bisexual? And, and, and this concept of sexual fluidity explains that too. It's, again, it's situation specific. I will add also to this, this isn't something that can be managed or, or manipulated in order to, you know, if you have a a gay daughter and you think, well, all she has to do is, you know, this sexual fluidity thing just needs to click in and then she'll fall in love with a man and get married and everything will be wonderful. It doesn't work that way at all. It is, it is, you know, like, uh, I think I, I've compared it to catching a falling star, you know, it's random and, uh, not subject to appear at command. Um, but for me, it happened, um, and it's persisted. And, uh, and it makes the life that I am living now possible and desirable and, and happy. Um, and I'm, I feel, I feel fortunate in that, but, uh, but I have friends that that has not happened for, and they, and they have fallen in love with, with women and, and that's where, that's where they're happy. And so I think, I think Heavenly Father has a very, very distinct plan for each of us. And it, uh, it can sometimes look a little circuitous and, uh, and it's not, it's not over till it's over. And so where, you know, where, where he's leading us in ways that will help us to become the best version of ourselves. And, uh, and that's what I feel he's doing in my life. Um, I will also say that I think throughout our marriage, I was guarded, even though I didn't know why, um, as I was able to come out and be more open and talk about things that I had held in, um, our marriage became much more, we became safer with each other in ways that we had never been before. Um, and so that was another really positive effect of coming out later in life, um, is that it brought more light and truth and honesty and vulnerability and, and compassion into our marriage. Um, my husband has grown tremendously when I, I've thought about this, that, um, he's really lucky to have me. (laughs) (laughs) When he was a bishop, I was going through a major depressive episode 
and he got to learn about major depression. And because of that, it blessed the lives of people in our, in our ward for years moving forward. He got it. When people came into him, he understood mental illness and he knew resources for them. And, uh, and, and he was, you know, he was a better bishop because of that. Um, as I look at him now and his capacity for, for, for compassion, but also for stepping back and allowing me space to figure this out, rather than trying to manage it because he was afraid of what might happen, he stepped back. He accepted that he didn't have control over whether I stayed or not, and he let go of any attempt to make to make things happen the way he thought they should. And that gave me space to grow in ways that were critical. And it gave me space to work with Heavenly Father without worrying about what David thought or what, how David would respond or, you know, or what David wanted or, or what will he think, you know, what will he think? He told me one time that he just decided to trust me. And and when he said that, it relieved me of the need to hustle for his trust. And so I was just able to, um, to relax into that, to realize I didn't need to keep trying to earn it every day when I got up in the morning. I have to earn David's trust today. Um, and that was the best gift he could give me. I've, I've learned a lot about how God works with us by watching him. Um, and about how I should work with others, including my children, by giving them the space to work out things on their own with, with God and not get in God's way. Um, and when I rush to rescue or fix or control, I'm getting in his way. So I've learned to let go and let them grow, let them have the experiences they need, just as he gave me the opportunity to have the growth experiences I needed, even when it seemed a little scary to both of us. Um, and we just found out we could trust God to, to go through that, to take us through that. So. That's a beautiful segment, Megan. And you have a gift of communication um, and a way with words that is really powerful. And I assume that'll be part of your next book is the ability to communicate your thoughts in a really remarkable, healthy way. That's really kind of you because I feel kind of feel like I'm blabbing. <laughs> <laughs> but you've said some things that I'll rewind and others will rewind that you probably don't realize just how thoughtful they are and helpful they are. Um, just this is a very, very helpful podcast so far. So uh, I'll just, do you, I'll just, I have a couple questions. Do you want me to ask those now or do you sure. want to just keep going? No, no, please do. You've kind of answered this in a lot of ways, but if a couple is just, at the point you were several years ago when you've just come out and you be, let's have you talk to the straight spouse as well as the not straight spouse. Just what advice do you have for those couples with somebody just coming out? Um, and that's hard because everybody's going to be in a different position and some marriages are going to work and survive and thrive mm -hmm. and some marriages are going to end. So probably hard to give a blanket, but just any thoughts for, those couples in those situations? You know, let me share a tool that I learned in a 12-step program called Healing Through Christ. It's called the Fear List. And uh, it's basically three steps. You write down your biggest fears. 
all your fears. Try to just list all your fears. And this includes things that you don't want to put into words because it makes them seem too real. Um, when we can put them into words, when we can write them on a page, they actually lose some of their power because things that we want to run from or hide from um, increase in power. And when we're willing to face them, um, that decreases the power a little bit. Um, being able to write it down, being able to recognize it, and then being able to write down next to it, you know, write down the fear and then on the same line, write down, even if this happens, I will be all right because my Savior will always sustain me. Um, I think I would say that our fear drives us to want to fix and control and manage the situation. And that, that does damage. When we can let go and let God, um, we're better able to, to trust that, that there is a way forward, that it will be okay, and that, that even though we can't predict exactly what that looks like, we can trust that God will help us through it. And, and the more we can let go of our own expectations and just hear him, I mean, the, the counsel that President Nelson has been giving us to hear him takes us out of our expectations of what things should look like, the way they should go, what God must want from us. Um, you know, obviously what, you know, it's reasonable that he would want this to happen. Um, his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. And we don't know. And I'll tell you, God has taken me in very unexpected directions. Um, and, and yet they have been essential for my growth. We're here to learn through our own experience to know good from evil. And that means we have experiences. And, and so I guess I would say to, you know, my husband's probably the one to speak to the straight spouse, but I would say that for me, what, what David did for me was step back, give me room. He was able to reassure me that he would be there, that he would be with me after, after the first, at first it was really hard. We weren't sure what we were going to do. Um, but, but after that point, um, he could hear me talk about a struggle I was having with an attraction to somebody and he could hold that for me. That's cool. It is. It is. Without feeling that it put his future at risk and he needed to he needed to to manage this. He needed to stop this. He needed to make me stop feeling that way because he can't. I mean, the reality is I'm attracted to women and we have to work within that reality. And he's attracted to women. Too. Yes, and sometimes we're attracted to the same woman. <laughs> and so he could probably tell you the same thing. I'm attracted to, I mean. You know, actually it opened up some of that conversation I mean, and we were able to talk about that. Is that you're, the ability to talk about really be vulnerable and yeah. honest and authentic and how that deepened your relationship. Mm -hmm. Because of you coming out and being so vulnerable actually is a, a healthier. Yeah. And so maybe he opened up with some things he never he did. thought he'd open up with. He did. That absolutely is true. And vulnerability creates intimacy. That's so, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's just some great nuggets there. So keep telling your story. Um, uh, let me think where, 
I uh, wanted to go. I, I will say that I was ready to come out earlier than I did come out publicly. Um, I talked to my kids about a year before and I had told them that I wanted to and but I wouldn't unless they were okay with it. And a couple of them were concerned about the impact on David and were concerned about what it would do to him and didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, and so I respected that, even though I really, really wanted to, but I, I wanted to wait until we were ready because it, it, you know, when you're, when you're in a marriage, when you're in a family, it impacts everyone. I mean, it was my thing, but it was okay. I didn't need to right away, but what I did do, um, and I don't know, maybe this will resonate with somebody. Um, I stopped dyeing my hair. I let my hair grow gray. And, uh, and that honestly, for me was a way of, I couldn't, I needed to hide a little bit longer, the truth about my sexual orientation, but I could let people see the truth about my hair. And that it was somehow it just, it was, (laughs) it was like a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, of a pressure release and, uh, and where I could just, I could be that I could show a little bit more of who I really am, um, and come out of hiding a little bit. And, uh, and then I think, I think my, my kids just needed a little bit more time to see that and, and more opportunities to talk to my husband and they're scattered all over. They're in Toronto, North Carolina, Carmel, Indiana, a couple out in Utah. One was in New York city at the time and since moved to Utah. And, uh, so for them to have one-on-one time with my husband was, you know, didn't happen often. Um, and so I think they were all able at, at some point during that year to be able to talk with him and to see where he was and how secure he felt, um, because their, their, their biggest worry was the impact on him. Um, I'll also mention that there were friends that I came out to during this time. Um, Brene Brown talks about as I said, shame, shame was the huge, the, the thing that really pounded away and was destructive to me. Um, learning that God loves me as I am helped to eliminate some of that shame, but continuing to hide, um, was, you know, brought it back. Anytime I feel I'm hiding, all that shame comes right back to me again. And so I was reading uh, some of Brene Brown's work, and she talks about uh, shame growing in secrecy, silence, and isolation, and that the antidote to shame is to speak our truth and be met with empathy and compassion. And when I read that, it just jumped off the page. The spirit, it's like the spirit, you know, highlighted that in yellow for me. And, uh, and I decided I needed to do that. And so I was going, I wanted, I identified a couple of people. I prayed about it. Um, the people that would, I felt I could trust and would be receptive to that. And, and I started talking to a few more friends and that helped a little bit with that imposter syndrome. So that when I was teaching gospel doctrine and there was one person there who knew, who just knew that, you know, that knew about me, um, it, it made me feel like I wasn't, I wasn't pretending to be something I wasn't. She saw me, she knew who I really was. Um, and, and that, that was really helpful. I will add though, and, and I will say that it was, it was a place of trust and honor that I put them in to come out to them. And so 
for anyone who's in that position of receiving that truth from another person, uh, you are being invited into the sacred spaces of their heart. And, and I invite you to tread as carefully as you would in the temple. Um, so I, uh, I also experienced an intense vulnerability hangover afterward. And so I would also add, if you're in, in this blessed position of, of being somebody who receives this, uh, this knowledge, that you follow up that night, the next day, let them know you respect them, you love them, your friendship is a constant they can depend on. Uh, because I, I would just always feel that, uh, not so much now, but, um, but early on, I would walk away thinking, I, what did I just do? Why did I do that? I have just destroyed a friendship. They'll never look at me the same. I, why did, you know, why am I, you know, why would I talk about this? And, uh, and so people just need, need you to circle back around quickly, soon, within a few hours and, uh, and, and give them that reassurance. Um, I'd also talk about the fact of being in a mixed orientation marriage. And uh, I'm in a couple of groups on Facebook, and uh, and there is a perception that when <laughs> this is ironic, when I was in in college, I had a lot of friends who married gay men because the counsel that was often given then to a gay man was to get married, and that would fix it. And those marriages, for the most part, ended badly. Um, and so, actually, when my husband, I have five daughters. Um, Four of them are married to amazing men. One is married to an amazing woman, and they're all happy, happy marriages, as far as I know. Um, but when my husband would talk to, when these young men would come and ask him, you know, they'd go in the room and shut the door and have the little conversation. And I would always say, just, just ask them if they're gay. Just let's make sure, you know, because I'd seen all these, my friends go through this. And so you know, just make sure they're not, they're not going to get into a marriage that is going to fail, um, which is so ironic <laughs> and, and shows how much in denial I was. Um, and, uh, and, and so there, there is, there are very visible marriages and we call them mixed orientation marriages where one member is, you know, is, uh, is a, a, attracted to their their own gender and the other is heterosexual and uh, and there there are some really visible um marriages that have failed um and i think i think the conclusion that we often draw from that is that they're doomed to failure but i'll say there are a lot of quietly successful very happy marriages as well um and it and it's painful when people discredit them because I feel like they're telling me you're it's not going to last. You're lying to yourself. You know you're living a lie. You're not living your authentic life. Well, this is my authentic life. David and I have built a life that we love and we love each other. And uh, and the fact that I'm attracted to women doesn't detract from that. Um, and I love the gospel. Um, I, I'll talk a little bit about my relationship with the church, um, which which also has just as my relationship with my husband has grown and matured and gone through rocky places. I think the same thing is true with my relationship with the church. 
Um, but I, I just ask for space to, you know, allow people the opportunity to, if they feel drawn to, um, to marry somebody, um, and it's a mixed orientation marriage, um, don't make assumptions that they're going to fail or tell them they're going to fail. Why would we tell anyone their marriage is going to fail? Um, I, I've interviewed, and I'll talk a little bit about the book in a bit, but I, I interviewed over 40 women who are, um, who are Latter-day Saints, and, and most of them are bisexual or lesbian. Some are, there were a couple of transgender men that I talked to as well. Um, and, and a number of them are in marriages, married to men. And, and there seemed to be, there seemed to be kind of a pattern where entering into a marriage for the sake of the covenant was not promising for, for the longevity of that marriage or the happiness of that marriage. Entering into a marriage because there is real sincere affection and attraction. Um, and I think this is probably true for heterosexual marriages too, right? Getting married just because you want to get married and go to the temple and, you know, and you just found somebody you could do that with. That's not a good way to start. Um, falling in love is an important part of getting married. And so I will say that, that I did, I did see a distinction because there were women who wanted to be obedient and fulfill the covenant. And, and that's a hard way to go in. And, and I also saw they talked about, if they talked about it to their husbands beforehand, the husbands who said, wow, this has got to, this must have been really hard for you. Will you tell me about what this has been like for you? And do you mind if I ask you questions? And, and they were really open and present and interested. Um, those marriages also seem to have a better trajectory than marriages where the guy thought, well, once we have sex, you'll be okay. It'll be cured. Or I'm not going to worry too much about that. Or, you know, well, I don't want to talk about that. You know, all that, that was not a good. So I guess I just say, you know, any marriage, marriages are, are individual and, uh, and distinct and have different foundations. And one that's built on a foundation of honesty, which mine was sort of as much as I could. And when I could do better, I did better. Um, and love and affection and mutual respect, um, those marriages are going to have a better chance of happiness and success and satisfaction. That's really gold. That is really good. And I love, makes me excited to read the book because of the work you've done with so many couples and so many experiences, your experience plus the others, and especially women's experiences that are sometimes underreported or under understood, if that's a word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll talk about that just for a minute, if that's okay about Good. the book. Um, I, uh, I'll give credit to Ben Shalati. He's the one who, who told me that, uh, that, that his publisher was looking for uh, a woman's voice in this space. And this was shortly after Ben and Charlie's books had each come out. Um, and, uh, and I wasn't interested in all that work at this point in my life, but Heavenly Father was interested in having me put in some of that work. And so I, I felt I felt a strong, uh, a strong push to start writing. And, and as I was writing in the book, you know, the framework is my story. Um, as I was doing that, I thought I'm just representative of such a small fraction of 
of this of this group of this community. And so I had to talk to a few more people and get their perspective. And I, I started reaching out and, and that just a few more people grew into, as I said, over, over 40 women at this point. And they're, they're single and celibate. They're single and, and dating other women. They're um, in mixed orientation marriages. They have been excommunicated and now have returned to the church. Um, they, they've left the church. They, many of them are, are in or headed into same-sex relationships and desperately want to find a way to reconcile that with their love of the church and their desire to stay engaged in the church. And I think there's, there's real opportunity for us moving forward to, to, for the church to, underst- to try to determine what that looks like. Um, but that talking to these women has been the most joyous part of this whole process. One of the things I've found is that God is very active in the lives of his LGBTQ daughters. Um, they feel they feel revelation in in this space often more than any other part of their lives. Um, they have very specific direction from him on how they are to move forward and and they are hearing him in beautiful, beautiful ways. And some of them are hearing, go date. You need to have that experience. Some of them are hearing your path forward is through keeping the commandments. Um, It is customized, personalized tutoring, as Elder Maxwell said, in in reference to um, Mosiah 319, that, you know, as as a child to submit to his father, this is customized, personalized. And he, but I will say he loves his daughters in this space and he is speaking to them. He is active in their lives and, uh, and he is very creative. Um, I think we bind him by our expectations. And when we are become more open to listen to what he is telling us to do, um, he may take us in unexpected directions. My direction has always been to stay within his boundaries. Um, and I think sometimes when people need to need to go outside of them, he sees if they're going there, I can teach them this and he's still working in their lives and all things work to the good of, of those that love the Lord. You kind of have this way of taking us to the 30,000 foot level of the gospel and perhaps our heavenly parents see at times and and this idea of really letting people choose their path and honor their agency and not do the natural things we do as parents to fix to change and just trust people mm. and how your husband did that for you and how you talk about that's what our heavenly parents are doing for us and it's I, i'm really comfortable with that i think we te- teach correct principles we teach the doctrine we teach commandments but then we let people govern themselves and just, you know, and just let them move forward in their lives the best way they feel they can and, and keep them in our lives and leave any judgment to our heavenly parents and our savior. You also have grace for people that take other paths. I, you know, I recognize as an ally, no one's looking, I'm looking over my shoulder, sort of judging my path. I'm free of that, <laughs> but you have a path in this space of mixed orientation marriage. 
And I think one of the things that you're very good at is just creating grace for people that are on all paths and not just having to sort of validate your path by pulling everybody into your path. And, you know, there's people that have left the church that want to pull everybody that direction or people that are on a path that want to sort of pull everybody into their path or, or even people say to living your truth, you've got, you can't do a mixed orientation marriage because that's not authentic. And so I think you create a feeling that is helpful to, to support people on all their paths and to honor all these paths. And to, and for people in mixed orientation marriages, not to say some of the things that we've said and that you may continue to hear, you have a wonderful, your marriage is a love story. You and David, it is a love story. And as you talk about, it's just a beautiful love story. And it's been choppy and bumpy like all marriages, but it's a beautiful love story. And it's as real and as authentic, but you're careful not to say this is, you're careful when you say this is my story. And I think it's great to hear your story. And I think it helps everybody write their own story better as they hear your story, because the principles you're teaching are scalable to everybody's story, including straight marriage stories. So I kind of, I love the name of the book. I'd love you to continue just to talk and share what's in your heart and mind. Well, I'll, uh, I will give credit to the 12 steps. I've been in 12-step programs for about 10 years, and uh, I, it, has, it has helped me to, to recognize my own codependency, my own desire to rush in and rescue and fix and give the answers, and recognize that that, that doesn't benefit people as well as the opportunity to learn through their own experience. and that. You know, I, I think I used to feel that, boy, I'm just, this is the final exam and I need to get all the questions right. Elder Anderson tells us that repentance is not the backup plan. It is the plan. And our, the plan is that we make mistakes. And, and often those mistakes bring us to our Savior's feet, which is kind of the end goal for mortality, to come to the Savior. Um, I think that... Uh, that that ability to let go and let God has was boy essential in my relationship with my daughter who left the church and then we actually just she was married she and her wife got married during the pandemic and they live in Toronto and none of us could cross the border wow. the border just opened between us and Canada just opened to leisure travel which is I think how they would classify that um, the end of the summer. And so we were able to go and celebrate with them and to be able to look at her and honor the path that she is on that is bringing her so much happiness. She and her wife are so happy. And this is, I don't know why, I don't know how. I know she is where she, she it's good for her to be. And I know God can work with that. I know God loves her. When she first left the church, it was agonizing to me. And, and there were two things that happened. One was I, I was praying about it. And Heavenly Father let me know that he, he, I didn't need to worry. It was pretty much it. I didn't need to worry. He knows her and he loves her. Um, and I, there's no like, and I'm going to bring her back to the church in three years and everything's going to be fine, you know, or I'm going to, you know, Nothing like that. Just don't worry. I love her and I'm going to watch over her. And then um, my daughter told me about a, and 
something that she'd heard in one of her Relief Society lessons where the teacher had been talking about praying about her son. And the answer the Lord gave her was, you love him and I'll teach him. And when I heard that, that again came highlighted by the Spirit um, with power to me that my job is to, my job and my joy is to love my daughter. And I taught her, I was her seminary teacher. I, she had a lot of years with us. Um, I, I probably told her a lot <laughs> over those years. She can quote, she can probably still has all the scripture mastery verses memorized because she was always the first one to get them. And, you know, she, she knows, she knows whatever our church has to teach. She has that. Um, the thing I did feel impressed to tell her was that God is bigger than the Mormon church. That was at the time we were still using that term and that, uh, she can find him where she looks for him. And so that, uh, I think, I think those experiences just helped me to see that I, I, if I were to impose my expectations on somebody else, I may get in God's way because he works in unexpected, surprising ways to give people the experience they need to learn. And it is customized and, and, uh, personalized. Um, we're here to learn from our experience. And Elder Maxwell also talks about the Savior in Gethsemane and that when the weight of the atonement bore down on him, it was so much more, he says, than even he with his perfect understanding could imagine. And Elder Maxwell said he knew cognitively but not experientially what it would be like. And so when he asked the Lord to remove, when he asked Heavenly Father to remove the cup from him, Elder Maxwell says that was not theater. That was real. Um, he learned through his experience. We learned through our experiences. I think we, we had everything down academically, probably in the pre-mortal existence. And here we're learning it. We're learning it through our bodies. We're learning it through our experiences. Our, our, our covenants are made with our bodies. Um, this is a full body experience. And, uh, and we are meant to learn from mistakes and that means we have to make some. And so I can't get in the way of somebody else's growth and learning. Sorry, that's a long convoluted response to your comment. Um, I would like to talk for just a minute about my experience with the church. Is that? Yes, please do. Is that right? Okay. Because there's probably people that need to hear this this part. Um, obviously there have, I, I look back on my youth and, and there's some trauma there. The there are certain words that are burned into my consciousness that were used in reference to people like me. And it's very, it's painful. And I address this a, a lot in the book. Um, there's a whole chapter talking about, you know, about this because I also was given experiences with specific church leaders um, that the Lord enabled me to have experiences with them that now 40 years later, I look back and it gives, it gives a framework for how I interpret the things that they said. That's very helpful. But um, the, in, in May 2020, we, you know, we shut down church. We didn't have church for a while. And when we did, it was Zoom. And, and there were probably three months where I you know, was not entering a church building. That came at the perfect time for me. And it gave me an opportunity because, because my... I think my anger over 
what I had experienced was reaching kind of a peak at that point. And so to be able to take a break was really helpful. And, and one of the things that I did during that break was I wanted to determine what in my church experience brings me closer to Christ and what, what interferes with that relationship. And I actually made a list over, you know, over the course of a few weeks of the things that bring me to Christ. And, uh, and there were a lot of things on there. There were hymns and there were the temple and there was, um, serving with others and there was taking the sacrament and, uh, and there were just a lot of things that, that the church gives me that brings me closer to Christ. One of the things that I, I realized does not is over-dependence on leaders. Um, that rather than asking God directly for answers, I often would turn to a leader, either, either asking somebody or, or you know, looking up what someone had said on a topic. Um, and I, I realized it was similar to the people of, of, to Moses coming to the people and saying, the Lord wants you to come up to the mount and enter his presence. And they say to him, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And so they wanted him to be the intermediary. They didn't want to have a direct experience with God. And I started to realize I was doing that a lot. Um, I was deferring to what I had been told rather than going to the fount of knowledge, the fount of truth and asking. And so um, that, that, was, that was just really good for me to realize that, that there are things that I had been told that I depended on that I needed to, rather than depending on those things, I needed to go to God and ask him. And one example of that is I was called to serve as a Relief Society president during this time. Well, a little bit later than this time. And, uh, and I'd, always, I'd always just accepted, absolutely, yes, I will do that, even before I prayed about it, you know, because I think somebody had told me one time that that's what we were supposed to do. And so this time, it, it came as a shock, for one thing, and, and I asked for some time to pray about it. And I spent that week talking to Heavenly Father and asking him kind of over and over, do you really want me here? <laughs> do you really want me to do this? And one impression I got was there were some things I needed to clear up in my spiritual life. And so I worked on that. And then I came back to him and again, knelt down and said, do you really want me? And his response that came through so clearly and surprisingly was, well, what do you want? And uh, that was not what I expected. I expected to be told what to do. Um, and when he gave me the opportunity to think about what I wanted, I, I just knelt there for a while and thought, well, what do I want? What do I really want? And I realized what I really want is to build the kingdom. That's the desire of my heart. And, and so I said, I, I, I want to build the kingdom. May I serve in this calling? And he told me I could. <laughs> and uh, that experience is unlike any other I've had in any calling because I knew I could say no. And knowing that I could say no gave me the ability to give a wholehearted yes. It was completely my decision. Wow. And it wasn't, 
you know, well, I could say no, but then he won't like me. You know, then God will be disappointed in me. That would be terrible. I don't want to disappoint God. So I'll go ahead and do it. It really, it really freed me of some of the fetters of expectation that, um, that kept me from, from growing into a beautiful experience. And all of those experiences come when I turn to God and ask him and just keep asking him and keep looking for his direction rather than pushing that off onto somebody, some other mortal being to tell me what to do. Oh, that is a really terrific segment. And I love heavenly father's answer to you, what you want to do and then how that in some ways you're more, almost more invested in this calling because Mm -hmm. of the process you went through. It's a great process that all of us can go through. And I like this over-dependence on leadership. I think culturally, somehow that's become part of our culture. Mm-hmm. We have very strong leaders. We have very strong central structure. We have been dynamic people leading our church. And, and so I think that sometimes we do turn to our leaders to just walk us. And I love your example of Moses. And I don't think our leaders um, generally want to you know, be the source of, sometimes we hear somebody that says, I've got to an apostle and they gave me an answer. And I don't think our leaders want to create a culture where the further up we go, the better answer we get. Right. I well, think they want to create a culture where they're a means for us to get answers from our heavenly parents like you did. Yeah. And I don't think they want to be the, the place where the road stops, you know, where yeah. you're not going to God, you're coming to me. And so I'll give you the answer rather than directing you Heavenly Father, <laughs> you know, I they don't want that. They, I mean, I, I just, I think President Nelson's encouragement to us to hear him, hear him, hear him, hear him is uh, we don't ever go wrong when we turn to God for direction. And and I think His telling me what do I really want gives me an opportunity to. He doesn't. He doesn't just want perfect servants. He's, he's growing us into heirs, 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 heirs to the kingdom, heirs to, um, to all that he has. And in order to do that, we can't just be um, people who do exactly as they're told. We have to be people who learn through our experience to understand things that we wouldn't understand without that experience. And sometimes that takes us um, that takes us in, in, in scary ways. More on your relationship with the church you'd like to share. Um, I think that's really that, you know, that, uh, I think recognizing that anything I look to or to replace God, to replace God's voice, um, is limiting me. Um, and certainly, I mean, I, you know, I, I love general conference. This, this last one actually I went into with a lot of anxiety and, and, and I actually just prayed for a willingness to be willing to hear. I, I prayed for a teachable heart because I went in, I was, I was just feeling a lot of anxiety beforehand. And, uh, and, and, and it just grew as, you know, as as the as each each session ended, I was more I was happier. I was getting more and more happy as it went on, and uh, I I 
I think I've just learned not to, I, I resisted being put on a pedestal for so long and people kept trying to do that. Um, and I kept trying to direct them away from looking, looking at me as an example, because I, I knew the, this narrative that I told myself, if you really knew me, you wouldn't say that. Um, and I just, I kept trying to turn them to the savior and, and, and yet I don't think I did that myself. I kept looking at what people said or what had been said in the past or, um, or I don't know. I just, I found so much more peace in just going more and more often to the Lord and saying, I don't know what to do next. What do you think? And, uh, and that, that never leads me, that never leads me astray. And, and the church isn't leading me astray, but there are a lot of different, different opinions. One, one of my very favorite talks is by Francine Benyon. It's called an LDS, a Latter-day Saint theology of suffering. And it's in at the pulpit, uh, 185 years of women's voices, which is in the church history segment of our gospel library app. And she, in the very beginning, she establishes, you know, there are so many contradictory verses of scripture that it's hard for us to determine just from scripture, what is the right thing we should do. And I think we could say the same thing. We could look at the last session of conference and, you know, do, do we do we emphasize this or do we emphasize that? Or do we, you know, what, what really deserves our greatest attention? Well, the only way to know that is through the spirit. There, there are so many important and valuable works for us to do. How do we know what to do next? The Lord tells us what to do next. What's the next right thing? That's another 12 step slogan. I love that, uh, that, that we hear a lot that, that frozen Two has done a great job in expressing, um, what is the next right thing? The Lord has the answer for that. We're not going to find that answer um, laid out for us, you know, in, in this nice checklist for us to just go through and somebody else creates it for us. Um, the Lord wants us to turn to him over and over and over. And I think that is helping my experience in the church to be more beneficial and more life-giving as well. And I assume you don't feel any trauma or pain from your Heavenly Father, from the Savior, that any trauma or pain or shame you feel is from the church at times. Absolutely, yeah. And that's been a consistent theme with most people I've Mm -hmm. met with, that that's been the anchor for them. And I think listeners, as as our covenants, as the church, our leaders, as the current under the water that brings us to our Heavenly Parents under Christ, the goal that's the means, it's the current, it sometimes becomes the end. <laughs> we're coming into the church, we're really not. We're coming into our heavenly parents and all of leaders and all of us should be part of that current to help people come unto Christ. And just your point, I remember getting some advice as a singles ward bishop is to, because YSAs will come and say, what, what should I do? Should I get married or not? Should I take this job or not? Should I go to college or not? Should I serve a mission or not? And I think it was my brother that just said, you know, you really need to not answer those questions. You need to turn, you know, help those people make principle-based decisions, which are the, just the model you've just shared with us, Megan, in real life and real examples. So that's an important point for listeners is, you know, there's a lot of voices around you and a lot of, and sometimes I like your point about the scriptures can even be contradictory, but the thing that's not contradictory, I think, is your heavenly father. Mm -hmm and the Savior, and and learning how to do what Megan's learned how to do is to get personal revelation 
And I think they'll be there for you in the most important decisions you need to make as they've been for you. So keep, I'd love you to talk more about the book when it's coming out, the name of the book. We've mentioned it briefly, but there may be a backstory and just anything you'd like to share in roughly the next five minutes. Okay. Uh, The name of the book is Tender Leaves of Hope, Finding Belonging as LGBTQ Women. Let's see, LGBTQ Latter-day Saint Women. (laughs) It's a a long. Yeah. I love it. Um, Trying to figure out how to get everything in there is tricky. But uh, yeah, it's going to be coming out in April. Um, 2022 is next year. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for the, my goal, my goal kind of changed. And actually it's, I mean, this is just, I've just tried to do the next right thing as as I've done the book as well. And to figure out what what Heavenly Father would want. And, uh, and I think one of the things that I hope it does is to amplify women's voices. There are incredible women in this space with faith that is we we talk about the faith of the pioneers and how admirable that admirable that is these are these are women pulling handcarts across you know desolate plains at times and they are incredible they have uh incredible stories to tell um i use them i i weave in their experiences kind of thematically um and and uh and they're all I asked them all to allow me to use pseudonyms for them, which was hard for some to go back into. Shame. Yeah, kind of go back into hiding a little bit, but uh, but they're snapshots of their lives, and and these are very dynamic lives. And so, where they were three months ago, where I taught when I talked to them, may not be where they are. And I I didn't want to put them in a freeze frame. A book lasts a long time, you know. My my book on depression is still on the shelves at Deseret Book after twenty two years. So. Uh, that's, 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 that's me a long time ago. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to freeze them in, in the, in this, um, where they were in that moment. But, uh, but they're all, they're all amazing, amazing women. And it's also given an opportunity to talk about a lot of principles and, and it, it does, I, you know, I have, I have a daughter who has, uh, is gay and has left the church. And so I kind of have that perspective as a mom. Um, it's different because I'm also gay, but uh, but 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 still, there there's a you know an, an awareness of of some of what parents experience when a child takes a different path from the one that they've chosen. Um, so it, it's an it's an opportunity for me to just talk about things that I've been thinking about for a long time, and I hope I hope people enjoy it, try and benefit from it. I love the book. I love that you're elevating voices of other women. I think women's voices in general need to be elevated in our church, in our society. And um, this has just been a great podcast. You are really bright and really articulate and really have a long view of this space and a very mature voice that I'm speaking for younger listeners, women, men that just need sort of the principles you're sharing, the long view of being in the space and your maturity of your relationship with the church and with God that to navigate this, you, I hope you really have a unique needed perspective. You're a gifted writer. We actually talked about this AP teacher at Highland high before <laughs> we went live, Dr. Scanlon. I was you're never Scanlon. in her class and I assume she's long since passed away, but 
I sense that, you know, that, that that you're very good at this space from a writing perspective, a communication perspective, and that this is just part of your life mission. This is me speaking to Megan, but all of you, that we all have these unique gifts and attributes. And sometimes in our later life, we we better be able to connect the dots of all these unique parts about us and how it's made our life mission possible that we may not see in our 20s and 30s, you know, and you have this long view of now looking back of your life. I'm still looking at your high school picture on page 30. and. <laughs> A lot's happened since 1979 when those pictures were taken. I love your love of all of your kids and their marriages. I don't mm-hmm. see you um, elevating one marriage over another. You just love all your kids equally. And um, most all of them are in straight marriage, except your one daughter that's in a same-sex marriage. And I just think it's it's kind of relieving where you've come as a parent is just to not have to rescue, not have to fix the it's sort of relieving, I think, for other parents that have got kids on different paths. It's part of your message and your healing is, and you're not making this up, Megan, you're using the gospel of Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation and an understanding of heavenly parents' love for us to sort of love your children where they are, even the one that's out of the church, and love the, their marriage and see good there mm. and just factually recognize it's a path outside the doctrine of our church. Um, and just be at peace with that. I think that's a good place for other LDS parents that ha- would that do have a child that's outside of the church and be able to do what you're doing. It's relieving because if we still feel like it's our job to rescue, or our job to fix this, or our job to bring them back, that can be pretty difficult to do and really frustrates the plan of agency that you're helping us understand. Yeah, they they have a savior, and when I try to get in, you know get in there and do his job, I just make a mess of it. So any last thoughts that come to your brain? I'll give you the last thought. I think what I, what I wanted to do actually when I started the book was speak to women who are where I was eight years ago, um, aware of this, uh, what I thought then was almost a cursing um, aware of this trial, I would never describe it as a trial now, um, but that's how I perceived it at the time, and I felt that it meant I was broken, inherently, inherently not, not one of God's chosen, <laughs> and uh, and and I wondered what space there was for me in his love and in his church and in my family. And I was afraid of what I knew about myself and I didn't know what to do with it. And I guess I would, I would say to them, God loves you exactly as you are. Um, as you turn to him, he will show you the next right thing. You're not alone. And there is great happiness ahead for you. Thank you, Megan. Peter's Decker, great podcast. You have a beautiful life mystery ministry. So this is Richard Osler and Megan signing off of another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.